Welcome to the Renovate Church Sermon Podcast. At Renovate Church, we are passionate about teaching God's Word in such a way that you really get to know the heart and character of God and where you can apply the truth of Scripture to every aspect of living. We believe that God's Word is relevant and has the power to transform your life. We're excited for this most recent sermon and we hope it blesses and encourages you. Pete said we're in week three of Mythbusters, and uh, in week one, we kind of waded into, uh, wasn't very deep waters, it just was, there's just not enough evidence for the existence of God, and we talked about that, and then in week two, last week, we talked about uh, the Bible is just not reliable, it's not trustworthy, it's flawed, and uh, we dealt with that myth, and uh, today, we're going to delve in a little bit deeper, and we're going to talk about this idea, this myth, that all religions are essentially the same and all lead to God. All religions are essentially the same, and they all lead to God. Back in the early 1900s, there was a man in Russia who was actually on his way, was training to go into the priesthood. And he ended up rejecting this idea of God and took on a materialistic view of the world. Rejected Christianity, rejected the God of the Bible, rejected... His name was Joseph Stalin. And Joseph Stalin under a material worldview, a materialistic worldview, ended up killing 30 million of his own people. Because here's the thing, guys, that we have to understand, is that ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. What we believe actually has consequences. So we're going to delve in this morning, and let me just give you a little bit of background, and this is a really hard subject to do because there's close to, many people estimate, 4,000 different religions on the planet today, 4,000 different ones, and religious practice makes up about 83% of the world. 83% of the world's population affiliates with some sort of religious belief, religious practice. Now, there's probably about 16 major religions when you categorize them that are out there in the world. And we're really just going to boil it down to probably about five or six today because many of them have the same worldviews and thought processes as you get down to it. So here's some of the the religions that are out there. There's the Baha'i faith, Buddhism, Christianity, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Judaism, Mormonism, New Age, Shinto, Sikhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism. So for the sake of our time today, I'm just going to focus on Christianity primarily, Islam, Buddhism, 
Hinduism and Judaism. Because they're really the five most prominent in the world today. So Christians make up about 33% of the world's population, about 2.8 million followers, believers in Jesus. Islam's about 22 or 22%, so about 1.9 million adherents. Hinduism's about 14%, so just a little over a billion people, which of, of which 1 billion 7,000 are in India and Nepal. So primarily located there. Buddhism's about 6% of the world's population, so about 300 million. I was surprised Judaism is about one, less than 1% of 1%, so only about 14 to 17 million people who, who consider themselves Jewish. So the myth we're going to deal with today, all religions are basically the same and lead to God. So every worldview ultimately has to answer eight big questions about the world. The first thing that they have to answer is origins. Where did this all come from? Second thing they have to answer is the nature of God if he exists. What is God like? What is his essence? Then every religion has to answer, hey, what's the nature of man? Who are we? Because the thing you're going to have to understand is that each faith, each religion, each practice has many different perspectives on each of these topics. Because if you go into New Age spirituality, they're going to tell you that you are God. You just haven't understood it yet. Other faiths are going to tell you different things. The Mormon faith is going to tell you that you actually are, were a pre-created being that lived before with God and now are here on earth and then are going back. So each of these faiths are going to have to answer the question, who are we? What's the nature of man? Then they're going to have to answer, hey, what's the purpose of man? What's the chief end of man? Why are we here? Then each faith is going to have to answer the question of what's wrong with the world? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? What's their, what's their worldview when it comes to brokenness and fracture and what's, what's wrong in the world? Then they're going to have to answer the soterology question. Soterology is just the theological term for salvation. Do they have any plan for things to be redeemed? For how, do, how do things ultimately get better? How do they change? What's, what's the plan? Then what's their view on the afterlife and eternity? What happens when we die? Is there anything beyond this existence? And then last, every faith ultimately is going to have to answer the question of what do they believe about Jesus? So let's dig into this quickly. And let me just read this at the beginning. Because here's the thing. This is a very tough subject to deal with. And I, want to de I told the prayer team that was here this morning, I've never prepared for a message more 
than I prepared for this. Because to do justice to Hinduism, to do justice to Buddhism, to do justice to Islam, to do justice to Mormonism, to do justice to Judaism, and not just read 30 seconds of a Wikipedia article and then say, you know, oh, okay, here's this faith in broad strokes of really digging in and reading and researching. And I have tabs pulled up on my computer. Hey, what do Hindus believe about the nature of man? What do Hindus believe about the afterlife? What do Hindus believe about salvation? What do Buddhists believe about these things? But let me just read, make a statement and then read something to you. In the book, The Problem of God, that's in the back of the room, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't grabbed a copy to grab it. It's great reading, um, Faith in a Skeptical Age. Mark Clark, in one of the last chapters of the book, talks about, okay, what do, the problem of the exclusivity of Jesus. And he said, the reality is, guys, that there are things in this world that we can affirm and we can bless and there's a difference between cultural pluralism and cultural pluralism is the celebration and acceptance of different cultures, different peoples, different religions and different ideas. We need to have as believers cultural pluralism. We, we, people have the right to believe what they, they want to believe, and we should respect that. He gives a story of when he was a young believer in the book, and he says that his best friend was a Wiccan, and he was a believer. And they would go, and they would read books together in the park and have conversations, and he would Say, he says in the book that he would tell her about Jesus, and then she would say, hey man, we're going down to the beach tonight to do some drugs and have an orgy and, and worship Satan. Do you want to come? And he would say, no, I don't think so. They remain friends. He they, but he said for each of them to say that they had the same worldview and the same path to God and the same idea of who God was, they would have looked at us and said, no, we have radically different beliefs of what this world is about and who God is and what we're called to do and worship. Because there's a difference between cultural pluralism and metaphysical pluralism. Metaphysical pluralism is where we then take the step and say that we have to say that every idea is equally right and valid. And, we, and you, we, nobody lives that way. There's called the law of non-contradiction. Something that is stated here cannot be, the, the opposite cannot be true. It's called the law of non-contradiction. So, yes, we want to have a cultural pluralism and respect ideas and, and so forth. But that doesn't mean we have to adopt and believe every idea. Because ideas are different and ideas have different consequences. And ideas, many of them are more coherent 
and historically believable than others. So let me just read this. This comes from a quote from Stephen Prothero. He's a Boston College professor of religion. He writes this, he says, and it's comforting to pretend that the great religions make up one big happy family. But this is sentiment, however well-intentioned, is neither accurate nor ethically responsible. God is not the same across every religious belief and practice. Faith in the unity of religions is just that, it's faith, perhaps even a kind of fundamentalism. And the leap that gets us there is an act of the hyperactive imagination. What he's saying is, is that, guys, I, you could, I just would challenge you to do this. I, I was almost going to use a clip from the Matrix movie where he's sitting there and he's eating his steak. And he goes, I know this isn't real, but ignorance is bliss. And I'm just going to keep eating my steak. Because, guys, the reality is, is that... We can't just, we can't just, sit. I would challenge anybody here, just go home today and just Google, hey, what are different religions? I mean, I was on Stanford's site and, and their religious studies site, Wikipedia, New York University. They're all, they all will say the same thing. No, these faiths don't all have the same beliefs. They're not all leading to the same place. Every, you can find it literally. A hundred thousand places in the most secular places. It's, it's, it's common knowledge. But we live, as what Prothero is saying here many times, in a sentiment where we want inclusion, but at the sake of truth. And again, we should have cultural pluralism, but it doesn't mean we have to have metaphysical pluralism. So let's look at some of this. So origins, where did everything come from? Let me read this to you. This was one of the articles I read. Per the Oxford Concise Dictionary of World Religions and the Confusion of Origins, Tanik Jewish scripture contains at least six different types of creation narratives. It's believed that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. Another belief system notes creation of the earth, seven heavens and the first man and woman in two days, the cosmos in six. Still another belief system states that there's no beginning and no end. That's Buddhism. There is no beginning and no end. There was no creation. Some recognize that the origin of the cosmos is unknowable, Hinduism. Another sees that the world as a process in cycles. A legend tells us that Pangu separated Yang from Yin and his acts, thus creating the earth and the sky, Hinduism. This is their creation narrative. After he died, Pangu became everything. Puranis talks of several creations. One religion believes in a three-decker universe, hell below, earth in the middle, heaven above. Another thinks it is made of seven continents with gods in the top layer, followed by planets. 
underworlds and 28 hells. Still another describes the cosmos as triloka, liberated souls at the top, humans in the middle, hells below. One presumes that the universe is contained in Brahma's egg. <laughs> That's Hinduism. So there's all these origin narratives and stories. So Buddhism believes there's no starting point of creation. There is no creator. Hinduism believes a lotus flower grew from Lord Vishnu's navel and Brahma sitting on it. Brahma separated the flower into three parts. The heavens, the earth, and the sky. The monotheistic religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism believe that there's a, there's a creator God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. So we have to look, and what they did in Mythbusters was they were looking at all these myths and saying, okay, what's plausible, what's confirmed, and what's busted? What's plausible? Then every religion has to answer the question of the nature of God. If he exists. Hindus acknowledge multitudes of gods and goddesses. Some will say between 33 million and 330 million different gods. All selfish. Buddhists say there's no deity, no God, no beginning, no end. Buddha acknowledges the existence of divine beings, but they are absolutely not knowable and not helpful in bringing an end to suffering, reaching enlightenment, or redemption. New Age spirituality says you are God. Muslims believe in a powerful but unknowable God. Allah reveals his will. He doesn't reveal his person. You can't know him. You fear him. You can't know him. Mormons believe that God is a contingent being who was at one time not God. This is what Mormons believe. God was a, cre God was a created being. He's limited in knowledge, power, and being. He's subject to the laws and principles of the universe as he did not create it. Mormons claim that God the Father was once a man and that he then progressed to godhood. That is, he's now ex an exalted, immortal man with a flesh and bone bodies. Christians, we believe in the supreme, powerful, loving God, eternally existent in three persons who created us to know him and have relationship with him forever. What's most plausible in these worldviews? Then the nature of man. Hindus believe that the soul reincarnates, evolving many births until all karmas have been resolved. And moksha, liberation from the cycle of rebirth, is attained. So according to Hindu teach, teaching, Man is divine at the core of his being. He's one with God. You go through endless cycles of birth and death, birth, re death, endless cycles. Until the end, in Buddhism and Hinduism, the goal is to cease to exist. 
So you're going to go through an infinite amount of, of lives, of birth, death, birth, death, till you get rid of all desire out of your life, and your goal is to cease to exist. That's the end. Mormons believe that humans existed before this mortal life and are uncreated and co-eternal. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that man does not have a soul and only the 144,000 chosen will continue to exist. Everyone else will face eternal extinction. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Hey, unless you're one of the 144,000, you cease to exist. Christianity teaches that human beings were created sinless in the image and likeness of God by a loving God and are the pinnacle of God's creation while being prone to sin and in depravity and in need of grace, salvation, and redemption, we are yet partners in accomplishing God's plan for existence and become part of God's family. So what's the end purpose of man? Hindus believe that the chief aim of man is to gain release from the cycle of reincarnation cast by karma, the consequences of past, your past actions in this or in previous lives and receive liberation from your earthly existence. Buddhism is to become enlightened and reach nirvana, which signifies the end of the cycle of death and rebirth to cease to exist. The chief end of man in Islam is to submit to God. The chief end of man in Christianity is to know God and to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. The problem of evil and suffering. Hinduism believes suffering, both mental and physical, is part of the unfolding of karma and the consequences of all your past inappropriate actions. You're reaping everything that you've done in, your, in the past life. And if you live a really bad life here, you're going to go backwards. And if you live a good life here, you get to go up to a really good place. But then you only get to enjoy that for a while because it doesn't want, we don't want to um, have you have too much good. Because then you're going to have to come back and go through the, the, the whole cycle. And this is infinite. Over and over and over again. It's the consequences of your past actions. Your current life or in past lives. Suffering is seen as punishment and the natural consequences of the moral laws of the universe in response to your past negative behavior. Buddhists believe that negative actions and beliefs of humans, such as greed, anger, ignorance, give rise to evil. The root of evil and suffering is desire. Christian science believes that evil and suffering is simply an illusion. It's not real. If you just change your mindset, it'll all go away. Christianity believes that God, who is perfect, created the world good, but man chose to go his own way by disobeying God, causing brokenness and fracture in the world. 
But God didn't leave us there. He identifies with our pain and suffering being fully expressed through the life, death, suffering, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. Ultimately, God will redeem and reconcile all the evil with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. He has a plan. Salvation. Salvation for the Hindu can be achieved in one of three ways. The way of works, the way of knowledge, or the way of devotion. Buddhism does not have a clear doctrine of salvation in the Buddhist teaching. Salvation in early Buddhism was nirvana, the extinguishing of all the karma that constitutes the self. Judaism believes more in a nationalistic salvation. To become a Jew, God's covenant with the Jewish people, keeping the Torah, keeping the law. Mormons believe that God gives everyone a general salvation to a mortal life in one of the heavenly kingdoms. Christianity is the saving of human beings from sin and its consequences, which include death and separation from God by Christ's perfect life, his death, his resurrection, and the justification following that salvation. Afterlife and eternity, Hinduism, reincarnation over and over and over and over again. Islam, believe in the day of judgment, heaven and hell, a person's ultimate destiny, whether it is heaven or hell depends on the degree to which that person intended and acted as God desires with justice and mercy toward others. Muslims trust and worship the one and only God, Allah, and you have to do the five things. And I know this to be true. You have to give of your alms, go to, make a trip to Mecca, fast during Ramadan, say that there's no other God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And here's the thing within the Muslim faith is that there is no security of salvation. You could live the best life in the world. Do everything that the Quran says. Do everything and get there and God could say, uh, nope, you were just, the line stopped here. Sorry, you're right here. We're going to come back to that one. The person of Jesus. Buddhists believe Jesus was an enlightened man. He was a wise teacher, a holy man. He's not the son of God. He's not God. He's not a savior. In Hinduism, there's no concept of a prophet or a messenger of God. No hard and fast rules as to how God reveals his knowledge <clears throat> and chooses his messengers. Mormonisms believe that Jesus was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father He's not eternal. He's a created being. Jesus then progressed to deity in the spirit world. He's not eternal or of the same essence as God. The Mormon Savior is not the second person of the Christian Trinity. Mormons reject the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. And Jesus is, is not God. He's a pre-existent spirit. 
Islam rejects the concept of the Trinity. They reject. They don't believe in, they believe that God is one. They accept certain portions of the Bible, such as the law and the gospels. However, Islam asserts that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was created as Adam from the dust of the earth. They don't believe that he was the son of God. They don't believe he was resurrected from the dead. They don't believe he went to the cross. And Islam teaches paradise is gained through doing good works and obedience to the Quran. So here's the thing, guys. Religions not only teach different things about who God is, but also how to reach him if he does exist. Religions teach different things about who God, but also how to reach him if he does exist. Every other religion teaches that you have to ultimately earn your way to God or Godhood. It all de- in Islam, it, it all depends on you. In Buddhism, it depends on you. In Hinduism, it depends on you. Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God provided a way. It's not our works that liberate us, but his finished work through Christ. Come on, put yourself in the mindset of a Buddhist. Keep the four noble truths, the eight laws. Deny yourself everything, right? Good works, this, da, 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 da. Over and over and over and over again. Never enough, never enough, never enough. Guys, that, this is the, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Christianity is that, guys, no matter how much we keep wanting to try to change ourselves, I want to change, I, I want to do better, I want to change. What do I do with my past? What do I do with my bad desires? What do I do with sin? What do I do that? And we can't do it. The Bible teaches that we can't change ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. I heard a guy say one time, us trying to work our way to heaven would be the same as jumping into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of North Carolina and think that we could swim all the way to the continent of Africa. The gap is too big. Christianity is the only faith where you don't have to earn your way to God or Godhood. God provided the way. In every other religion, God is impersonal. And unknowable. Today, Hindu, God is impersonal. He's unknowable. The Buddha, well, there is no God. To Islam, again, God is to be feared. God is to be surrendered to. God is to be submitted. God reveals his will, 
but he doesn't reveal his person. In Christianity, we meet God in Jesus. We can actually know God and have a relationship with him. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know God and his son, Jesus Christ. The word genosco, it means to know, to know intimately. We can know God. He's revealed himself. Every other religion, God is impersonal and unknowable. Third, God, as revealed in historic Christianity, is a trinity, which means God in himself is a loving community. God himself. Seriously, I was leading a new members class one time at our church in Indianapolis, and we were doing a comparative religion thing. And I remember I was studying one time, and I read this thing, and it just jumped out at me. It said that in Islam, because God is singular, He's transcendent, yes. He's singing. But in order to be love, in order to... Love is always something for another. In the Trinity, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all walking in love, in community, in deference, and respect. And they invite us in... God didn't need anything. He already had everything. He didn't create us like in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy with Ego. <laughs> he already had everything. He invites us into that fellowship and into that life. In Islam, no, God is singular. Who does he love? God is a community within himself. And then last, the claims of the leader. So what makes Christianity different? How do we reach God or Godhood? How? It's unique. Every other religion, you earn it. Your works. Christianity, grace. God provided the way. God came. Every other religion, God is impersonal and unknowable. If you do, do the research, Christianity, God's knowable. He wants a relationship with us. We meet God in Jesus. And then last, the leaders, the claims of the leader. During his time on earth, Prophet Muhammad said, 
I don't know the purpose of life. And Muhammad was so unsure of his own salvation that Muslims to this day are commanded to pray for his salvation. Today. I heard that we had a guy who was a converted Muslim who had become a Christian in Indianapolis who had started a ministry called um, the Crescent Project. And he goes all over the world ministering to Muslims and uh, helping churches be equipped. Fouad Masri is his name. And Fouad did a training on how to engage Muslims at our church in Indianapolis. And I heard this point for the first time. He was a Muslim. And I heard this point. He said, guys, you have to understand that Muhammad himself was so unsure of his own salvation that in the Quran, over and over again, they have to pray for Muhammad. For his salvation. The Buddha said before he died, I am not God. Seek for truth. Confucius, the Chinese philosopher and paragon of Chinese sages said, I am not the way. Before he died, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I'm not a way. I'm not a truth. I'm not a path of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Let me just read this to you guys. Two passages of scripture. Colossians 1.15 Guys, you have to understand that for thousands of years, people have wrestled with these truths. The Apostles' Creed, wrestling with who was Jesus? Was he man? Was he God? Was he, was he both? What's the nature of God? What's the nature of wrestling with these things? And they ultimately decided on who Jesus was. But look at what Colossians 1 says. The Son, capital S, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is distinct. Buddha said, I'm not the way. I'm not God. 
Muhammad said, I don't know the way. Confucius said, I'm not the way. Jesus said, no, I am the way. Last scripture. I'll just read this. It's a little in Ligonier Ministries on the introduction to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews is an incredible book. Let me just read what it says. Throughout the pages of Hebrews, this book makes clear that Jesus Christ exceeds all other people, leader, pursuits, objects, or hopes to which human beings offer allegiance. Hebrews pictures Jesus as better than the angels, as bringing better lives to humanity through salvation, as offering a better hope than the Mosaic law could pr promise, as a better sacrifice for our sins than bulls or goats, and as providing a better inheritance in heaven for those who place their faith in him. Jesus is indeed superior to all others. The book of Hebrews, guys, chapters 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, is going through saying, Jesus is greater than. He's greater than. He's... Hebrews 8 goes on to say that, that the covenant that we have in Jesus is superior to every other belief system, every other way. It says, listen, because it was founded on better promises. Hebrews 8, 6, let me just read it. But in fact, the ministry that Jesus has received is superior to all others as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to theirs and the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So Abraham had a covenant with God. As we go through the Bible, Abraham had a covenant. I'm going to bless you. Ba 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 ba. Moses had a covenant with God, the Mosaic covenant. Read it. In, David had a covenant, the Davidic covenant. The people of Israel had a covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, Jesus is superior to anything we could ever put our faith and trust in. He's superior. Why? Because his covenant is based on better promises. I died for you. You can have freedom. Listen, what does the Buddhist, what does the Hindu ultimately want? Freedom. Liberation. That's what moksha is. That's what nirvana is. It's freedom and liberation. And they can never find it. Because freedom and forgiveness and grace and transformation is found in Jesus. Come on. He comes and changes us on the inside. He comes and lives in us. God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And it says that the new covenant, the covenant we have, greater promises. Life, forgiveness, acceptance, belonging, transformation. 
adoption into the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus, forgiveness, eternity. Come on. If I'm putting my faith somewhere, it's not in moksha. It's not in nirvana. It's not in Christian science that I'm God and I just have to discover it. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I would humbly submit to you guys today. And let me just end with this. I started out saying ideas have consequences. Marxism was ideas that has been responsible for the deaths of about 150 million people. It has ideas. It has consequences. So why does this even matter? Why does it matter what somebody believes? Well, we see in normal life, we see a government in Flint, Michigan, that knew their water was contaminated in 2014 to 2016. And they didn't want to tell people the truth. Ah, it's not going to matter. No, it mattered because people died and people got contaminated. Ideas matter. What we believe matters. I would humbly submit to you today that all the myth, all religions are essentially the same and all lead to God busted. Busted. I would challenge you to go do your own research as well. I really believe that what the apostles fought for and labored and studied and reflected to come up with this creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. I believe this. I believe it putting all my chips on Jesus, putting all my chips on this. What about you? We're going to transition to the time of communion and have the ushers bring the communion elements down. Pete's going to come up and lead us in a time of communion. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that in the myriad of ideas 
about is there a God? If so, what is he like? What's his nature? What's his characters? What's the purpose of our life? God, I thank you that you provide answers. Thank you that you came. You lived a sinless life. You declared yourself to be the Son of God. You went to the cross for us. You suffered a violent, painful death. You were buried. But as you promised, on the third day you got out of the grave. You resurrected as the first fruits of all those who would be resurrected unto eternal life. And I thank you that you then appeared to over 500 witnesses before you ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. It's where you sit today. And you say you are coming again and you're coming back. And that if we put our faith and trust in the finished work of what you did at the cross, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be reconciled to you. We can be adopted into your family. We can be sons and daughters of the living God. And we can know you and walk with you for eternity. God, I thank you for that. We bless you in Jesus' name. Hey, we are so glad that you joined us for our service this morning. If you are interested in learning about how you can start a relationship with Jesus, we would love to be here to talk that through with you. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12 that whoever has the Son has life. And we really believe that here at Renovate. So again, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you're just interested in learning more about the faith, you have questions, we'd love to hear from you as well. Or if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus or get more involved in what we're doing, we'd love to hear from you. So just go ahead and comment on the platform that you're at or reach out to us by email at info at renovatechurch.com. Again, we're so glad you were able to join us. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to hearing from you soon.